Coming up, he's been an integral part of world peace experiments for decades. But first, welcome to Imagine Peace, the podcast that invites you on a transformative journey toward a world filled with harmony and understanding. Together, let's ignite the flame of peace within ourselves and radiate it outward so we can have a future where unity prevails. This is Imagine Peace, where dreams become reality. Join us as we explore the power of compassion, the beauty of diversity, and the potential for positive change. Hello and welcome to another episode of Imagine Peace. I'm Arbeth Dunn with my beautiful co-host, Terry Angel. And today we have another amazing guest, Dr. Joseph Boxerman. And he has been a certified teacher of transcendental meditation since 1970. He's participated in numerous uh, world peace projects with the TM organization. And he has seen firsthand the results of group practice of TM as a means to reduce violence and conflict. He's also a professor of management at Maharishi International University in Fairfield, Iowa, USA. He teaches courses in the science of creative intelligence and also introductory statistics. Well, I am so thrilled that you are here, Joseph. Welcome. Thank you, and it's great to be here as well. So I'm I'm really excited that you were probably in that experiment in Washington, D.C., or one of the experiments in Israel? I, yes, I was in the one in Washington, D.C. in 1973, and uh, 4,000 people assembled from 81 countries. Wow. And Yeah. And uh, the, the number of people on the assembly grew gradually, and when it hit a certain threshold, then crime in Washington, D.C. dropped off precipitously. And that was what the uh, previous experience with this practice had continued. And uh, for instance, uh, in 1978, we made our first experiment of this sort. Many different cities throughout the world hosted teachers of TM who had the advanced program called the TM City Program, which includes the procedure for yogic flying. And we did some tests in uh, Rhode Island and it showed across the board all sorts of declines and negative trends. Uh, For instance, not only crime, traffic accidents, hospital admissions, infant mortality, but also even the purchase of cigarettes declined during our presence there and positive trends like employment and consumer price index increased. Well, consumer price index, that probably would have gone down, but the positive trends went up and the negative trends went down because when there is orderliness in an environment, it, penetrates that environment, just like turning a light on in a room. A light may be just a small uh, number of cubic centimeters or cubic inches, but it lights an entire room. So that's the principle. That's fabulous. How long were the experiments? Uh, We were in Rhode Island for about two and a half months in the summer of 1978. 
Then the next one that followed right on the heels of that um, was called the World Peace Project. And Maharshi asked people if they'd like to go to different countries, all our expenses were paid. I was in Nicaragua. It was at a time when there was a civil war between uh, the dictator Somoza and the Sandinistas. And when we came, the war settled down and things progressed so much that uh, both sides had agreed to elections. And then we uh, invited President Somoza to pay our hotel bills since we had produced peace for his country. But he declined to do that. And so then we had to leave. And that's when everything flared up again. Ugh. And then the next uh, after that was um, 1980 in uh, New Delhi, India. Uh, 3,000 advanced meditators were there. And similar things, crime went down in the city, things like that. So it's it's a known uh, phenomenon that is new for our scientific age. But in a way, when we think of cell phone communication, we realize it's really on that same level because even the most advanced scientists today don't know what the electromagnetic field which mediates radio, TV, and cell phone communication is composed of. So uh, we just take one more step and we understand that consciousness is a field as well, and that we can, in the same way that we can create an impulse in the electromagnetic field that will travel. And for instance, it's because of that electromagnetic field that we can communicate with our little robots out there on Mars. So we send them a signal, maybe it takes eight minutes for that signal traveling at the speed of light to reach that little device out there on Mars. But we can do that even though no one knows what the electromagnetic field consists of. So this is the field of consciousness that we're dealing with. I love that. So I'm very interested in what the yogic flying is. Can you explain that? Yeah. Um, we just think of everyday mind-body coordination. For instance, I'm able to raise my hand with hardly a thought. It's because mind and body are intimately connected. And so we have a certain uh, conception of what mind-body coordination consists of in our everyday world. But what if we were able to use these deeper laws of nature, the field of consciousness itself, to extend that ability for mind-body coordination? And that's really what yogic flying is about. And the way uh, we look at it from a scientific standpoint is very interesting. And that is when a person is engaged in yogic flying, the coherence in the brain, the orderliness in the brain, and the connectivity between the right and left hemispheres and the frontal and occipital lobes, lobes are very strong and intense. And you would think that during meditation, our 
brainwave activity would just kind of straight line and there'd be no activity. But actually, that's not what science has found. What science finds is that different areas of the brain, which are normally responsible for diverse activities in our active life, in this very settled state of consciousness, all those different areas of the brain operate in perfect synchrony. And that's what we call brainwave coherence and brainwave orderliness. And the way that ties in with yogic flying is that yogic flying produces the most dense experience of this brainwave coherence. Now, what's interesting is people might think that that's very unusual, but uh, there's a wonderful book called Supreme Awakening, which I might be able to show you in a minute. And it shows that throughout history, there have been these experiences of people with higher states of consciousness who have this experience of oneness. For instance, the English poet William Wordsworth would have these experiences, and he couldn't produce them at will. But these experiences would make an individual see the world from a different standpoint. For instance, the English poet William Blake wrote that if the windows of perception were cleansed, then human beings would see the world as it really is, infinite. And so this deeper level of life exists, but we need to do something to have it part of our daily experience. And that's what transcendental meditation does. It incorporates this inner dimension of life, which in the past only very rare uh, individuals experienced, maybe one in a hundred million on earth, very small percentage. But now every individual can move in that direction where right from the very first day, this coherence is there along with a very settled state of the physical body. So it's a real thing. And yogic flying does that to the um, maximum degree. So I should say we're not at the stage where we're hovering off the ground, although that is the ultimate goal. But when a person practices yogic flying, uh, we have, for instance, when we do it in a group, we have mattresses, foam mattresses. And a person will all of a sudden start bouncing around. They're, they're sitting quietly in meditation, but the body is responding to this impulse and it just starts bouncing or hopping. And so it shows that this coordination between mind and body is a real thing. And as the individual consciousness becomes more pure, then that inner and outer relationship can be demonstrated more uh, on the physical level. I love it. What do you think makes TM such a powerful tool for, for peace, whether it's internal or external peace? That is a great question, because I was just mentioning this to some of my students last night, and that is uh, every student of TM right from the very first day has this deep inner experience and it's quite amazing and you could think how could someone have that without months or years of training 
And the reason is it's a completely natural process. And the way it works is that, just to give an example, if a person is running, it takes no effort for that person to slow down and walk or stand. And so there's a principle involved that within the ability for greater activity lies the ability for lesser activity. And so it doesn't take effort to meditate. Many people in the past have thought, oh, yes, I've got to concentrate and push thoughts out and all that. And of course, they would get a headache or whatever. So uh, that's a kind of human effortful thing that will only activate or excite the mind. But with TM, we make use of this ability, which is found wherever we look at activity, that activity has the natural tendency to settle down. You stir your coffee in the morning and you take the spoon out and it'll continue, but then it'll settle down and it'll become quiet. So in TM, we give the mind an inner direction and then effortlessly, just because of this tendency, the mind will gradually settle down and this happens right from the very first session. So there's another important principle. This principle that I'm uh, mentioning is the, the ability for lesser activity within any greater activity. The other principle is the principle of attraction. And uh, we use the example of a person standing on a diving board. So all they have to do is take the correct angle and then an attractive force, gravity, will draw that person into the water. No effort is needed. And so if this inner field is really what we say it is so beautiful and attractive, wouldn't the mind naturally go in that direction given the opportunity? And so this principle of attraction is also um, a natural process that we see all around us. A bee is flying around. Well, that's one of the aspects of a bee to fly. But as soon as it finds the flower with the nectar in it, then it settles because it's attracted to that source of nourishment. And so this is also the tendency of the human mind. So we just, the instruction process is just giving the mind this inner direction which is done on a one-to-one -one basis. It's not taught uh, in a mass situation. So one-on-one -on -one, and the person takes this inner dive and right from the very first day, they're an expert meditator. So it really is wonderful. And then of course, to enjoy practicing it twice a day, there's one other thing that's necessary. It can't be a chore to sit down and meditate has to be something delightful. And so people do it because it's like an oasis in the midst of all the turbulence of the modern world. Beautiful. So Joseph, I'm sure you're familiar with our project and what uh, we have going. Of the yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. Desire to reach 10 million plus people meditating across the planet. Um, do you believe that peace is possible and that this is a mode that uh, will help to usher that in? Yes, I, absolutely. How can you have peace through violence? It, it 
doesn't make sense. Of course, at some point, everyone is exhausted and doesn't want to fight anymore. But what you've done through violence is just plant the seeds for further violence. So uh, your project to have 10 million people just close their eyes, it works because any form of meditation, except as I mentioned, processes that involve effort, control, or concentration is gonna allow the awareness to settle somewhat. And if you have that many people, 10 million people doing that, then there's no doubt that it has an influence in the world. So anyone who can, no one has to learn how to meditate in a um, TM way if they just want to do it on their own, sort of in a casual way. And that is just close your eyes, sit there, take it easy, don't mind what's going on. But usually what happens is after people are familiar with some very easygoing type of meditation, then they'll come to me and say, you know, I've been doing this meditation for a couple of years, I enjoy it, but now I'm ready for more. And then they pick up TM. But then other people, it's kind of interesting, there's the exact other end of the spectrum. There are people who say, you know, I didn't think meditation is for me. I can't sit with my eyes closed for two seconds, but with TM it's easy. So sort of both ends of the spectrum will pick up on TM. But the fact is that any form of meditation or just sitting quietly with your eyes closed is known to have a positive effect on our day. And if you can do it for longer, better. If you can do it twice a day, even better. And if you can do it every day, even better still. Well, I learned uh, a TM back in the 70s as well. <laughs> and oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and I practiced it for quite a while. The, the meditations that, that we lead, um, what we do is we guide people into the unified field. And then we focus on the earth and just send waves of peace and love. You know, I, I actually see the field as, as rainbow shimmers. So that's that's um, how we guide people through the meditation. And you're also a statistician as well. So of you're sorts. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so um, have you, you know, so I think the statistics, well, we've had some great statistics with our, with our meditations, uh, and I know you've had some great statistics. Well, not you personally, but all of right. the TM yeah. practitioners who've gone in to other countries and in our own country to meditate have had some amazing statistics. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I saw that <clears throat> you did a very uh, good empirical measure by having, I think it's called ACLED. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. And, um, this is a very reliable procedure where uh, independent third-party analysts will look at uh, news reports and they'll just judge, is this one positive, negative, very violent, very peaceful? And this analysis of news reports reflects the condition of the world at a particular time. And so I saw that you had very good results with your use of that um, news analysis. And that's a very uh, 
good measure of the state of society. What we've done is we've used um, FBI statistics. So uh, FBI and police departments are very vigilant in measuring crime and reporting and consolidating their measures. So we use, uh, for instance, in the Washington DC study, uh, we notified the chief of police and the mayor in advance, and they were part of a 23-person uh, independent review group. So they knew in advance what we were going to do. And the police chief, uh, you know, he was a, a bit skeptical. He said, you know, the only thing that could bring crime down in the heat of the Washington, D.C. summer would be three feet of snow. But he was open to what we were doing. And so when you looked at those FBI crime statistics, you were able to see that dramatic reduction. And then there are all sorts of other statistics, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, like infant mortality and uh, hospital admissions and traffic accidents. So those are all very um, well-known databases where you can measure and track the influence. So having those kind of uh, hard data is very convincing. And we do this over and over again. And what we're really hoping is that a philanthropist will understand the value of this and will be able to support TM groups uh, for every continent, then for every country, for every state, and then we'll have a peaceful world. And the idea is that, again, this idea of the light, just a very small fraction of the population needs to do this and will produce a better world. And of course, what you're doing is sort of you're on the other end. You want millions of people to do it, which also is going to, the more people doing it, just closing their eyes for a few minutes twice a day, it'll do it. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, there are statistics to prove that. Um, if you want, I could show you, I could bring up a little chart and show you. Sure. Okay, great. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's really wonderful because in the past, <clears throat> uh, meditation was thought of as a sort of uh, fringe activity in society. But uh, now, the just the tempo of modern life is so intense you know there's a sort of semi joke it's it's uh got a ring of truth to it as well and that is whatever the speed of life that you are experiencing today it's the slowest that you're ever going to experience it so uh this is what's called a meta-analysis. And what that means is that many different studies are aggregated to show the influence of <clears throat> different procedures for reducing anxiety. And you'll notice, of course, that TM is shown to be most effective, but anyone 
here's placebo. What that means is a person is just told, this is going to help you reduce anxiety. It's a relaxation technique. And it works because of the power of the mind. Then other relaxation procedures, other kinds of meditation, PMR, progressive muscle relaxation, EMG, biofeedback, mantra meditation. And this is why I said that techniques involving concentration are not recommended. That seems to increase anxiety. But what this shows and what this gives hope for is if you can find a way to just close your eyes and sit comfortably, you are going to benefit. There's no doubt about it. So what we understand from this is that what's been missing in our culture is the balancing influence of quietness or silence. So we've, we've done very well with uh, outer technology, but now people are beginning to understand the term burnout more and more consistently. And that's why meditation is becoming more and more popular and is understood increasingly to be a necessary part of life, no doubt about it. This is so amazing. And you're so such a wealth of knowledge. And thank you for all that you've done in the means of peace. Is there any other thing that you would like to share with us before we end our interview today? Towards the end of this month in India, 10,000 people are going to be assembling who are practitioners of this advanced procedure of TM and yogic flying. And we're going to see what kind of influence that produces for the whole globe. And this is the 40th anniversary of when we had 8,000 of these advanced practitioners here in Iowa in the dead of winter. It was a freezing cold winter, but we had 8,000 people practicing these procedures together. You can imagine it was totally amazing and wonderful. A friend of mine was um, doing the food service for this, and he said everything was just so amazingly super fluid. Everything got arranged, you know, feeding 8,000 people in one place. That's a big job. And so both on the inner and the outer level, this assembly, which happened in the winter of 83 and then into 84, and it was called the Taste of Utopia, produced this influence, which we monitored uh, using the same procedure you used, uh, monitoring uh, news analysis. And so we're going to do this same thing with 10,000 people because the population has grown. And the important thing about this World Peace Assembly that's taking place in Hyderabad, India, is that our intention is to maintain that level of participation so that the world doesn't lapse back into violence. So that is really the key. It's not just to do these kind of spot demonstrations. What we'd like to do is have this as a continuing thing. And so the government of India is actually going to be monitoring this. And we're hoping that the many organizations who have um, 
enlisted to participate in this. All of their students have learned TM and the advanced procedure of yogic flying in preparation for this. We hope that they'll recognize that with this demonstration, they can now have the ability to continue this without a break so that this peaceful influence begins to be radiated from India. And then that may inspire philanthropists in other parts of the world to establish these groups because it's not expensive, even though we're talking, let's say, in terms of a few million dollars every year to house and uh, provide food, et cetera, and you know, normal salary for people to devote their lives to this. When you think of how much it costs to wage war, even for one day waging war, you know, poof, you know, $3 billion. Oh yeah, no problem, we can do that. So if we can do that, with a small fraction of that expenditure, we can create peace and the world will change. Thank you so much, Joseph. This has been really so enlightening and we so appreciate your time. Yes, and thank you for what you're doing as well. We're all in this together. <laughs> How can people reach you? What's that? How can people reach you? Oh, uh, jboxerman at tm.org. Wonderful. Thank you Very so much. Good. Yes, and thank you for what you're doing as well. There are many people throughout the world that are working for good. You don't read about it in the headlines but many people working from their hearts to bring food to people who are starving, to bring relief to disaster areas, and also what you're doing to get to the foundation of the whole thing. So we're really brothers and sisters together in this world, and better things are on the way. Amen. <laughs> we're going to set that intention. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're a delight. Yes, thank you for what you're doing and for making this available. Imagine Peace is brought to you by 10 Million for World Peace. Join our daily seven-minute guided meditations for world peace and monthly healing circles at 10millionforworldpeace.org. Together we can create a peaceful, happy planet.